motion. Mills. Can he run for it? No. In the corner of the end zone. That's a touchdown, Texans. Rookie, Brevin Jordan. And what's Davis Mills going to do? He's going to end on the ground, on the floor. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Episode 110 this week. Feels like we've played about 110 games this year. It's the longest season in my memory anyways. The Texans went down 33-13 in a rather predictable loss at home in front of a lot of Seattle fans. And it felt like we were the road team. Um, and it was a bit of a miserable outing again. But we're going to try and make some sense of it once more this week. Only four more to go after this. So this is uh, that's the good news. But welcome a returning guest this week. Um, and Mr. Matt Robinson from Battle Red Blog. Matt, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, thank you for having me on. Good to talk to you again. Feels like uh, last time we were talking was uh, the off-season. Or the, uh, yeah, getting ready for all the uh, optimistic thoughts. And boy, where we've gone from then. Yeah, well, I suppose right. It's it's always in your kind of it's everybody's nature to want things to to be good, and uh, it's there's so many reasons why it's not. Um, but we'll try and just t- talk this week and the future, I suppose. But a lot of it's all out of our hands, and a lot frustrating, and a lot kind of seems hellishly predictable at times. And that's that's probably the harshest bit about it, I think, because it felt like a slow moving train, and it's. Uh, and it's never really getting got anywhere so far. But before we talk about the game, Matt, this is what always happens every week pretty much on a Tuesday. We record, I think Casario has some availability, as does Cully, and they tend to make moves on a Wednesday. So we end up talking about it a week later. But last week, Zach Cunningham was released, um, signed a four-year, 56 million deal, uh, a couple of the last, last off-season, um, at a similar time to, to, to Deshaun as well. Um what was your what was your reflections just of the release first and foremost and um and 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 kind of where it all went wrong really? Uh, yeah, it, it caught a lot of people off guard. I feel like uh, in the initial uh, aftermath of the news dropping, you know, a lot of people uh, were assuming he was not long for for Houston ever since uh, the new regime took in. But uh, for this to come uh, after a, a benching, which a lot of people uh, pinned to just making sure he doesn't go on injury. And then sure enough, he ends up hitting the waiver wire. Uh, I was actually very surprised that he was claimed that uh, a team was uh, able to scoop him up without him just hitting uh, unrestricted. Uh, and hats off to him. He ended up going where he wanted to go. Seems like the story was he's a bit of a, a malcontent. So hopefully that clears up the locker room with him gone. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what necessarily damage he did. I suppose Jonathan Grenard's comments were pretty telling. I think he said something had to happen. Um, Cully's comments were telling as well in the sense that People looking at me cross-eyed or whatever kind of quote he came out with last week. I was just like you said. I was surprised Tennessee actually picked up the ten million injury guarantee he's got at that price. So uh, they obviously feel that he's worth it to pick him up via waivers rather than letting him go unclaimed and and uh, starting afresh. But it's uh it's a shame because I think he's a player that quite clearly played worse as after he got paid. His tape this year was pretty abominable. Uh, last year was was terrible, um, and, and everybody looked. You know, and people looked to tackles and stats and, and trying and fill in the blanks themselves. Um, but it doesn't always tell the same the the, the, the true story or, or the correct picture that what we've all witnessed Zach Cunningham in terms of his ability or lack of ability to play as an inside linebacker um, in a fourth in a four three. And you thought it would suit him, but being at the will. It didn't suit him. Disciplinary reasons. He supposedly reportedly, I've seen a number of people say he was asked to be traded in the off season. Um, he basically asked to quit. Uh, the team he wasn't happy. Didn't want to be here. So it's right to move on. But I think he's another extension, just like Whitney Marsalis's was. Um, just like Tunzel's looking as well at the minute, where you restructured, um, and you've had to take a dead cap hit. You know, and I think the dead, dead cap hit's now up some forty on forty on million. That we're looking at at some point, so you know it's uh, it's it's sizable, um, and it's 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 mismanagement. I think from from my point of view, if you thought there was a if you if you thought at any point there was a chance that you might not be here longer term, then you can't restructure people because then you just end up making it worse for yourself. But but in terms of in terms of he's obviously he, he promised a lot and he looked good against Bernardrick McKinney. What what did what would you sort of pinpoint kind of where he went wrong and what's he going to have to do to make a career for himself he wants to hang around this league? Uh, well, uh, 
hopefully in a new environment, he'll be a little bit more motivated. I feel like that was one of the reasons why uh, Grugier Hill sort of passed him by on the depth chart from uh, what Lovey Smith was saying. He was uh, a good student after class, staying late, working on things. Uh, ultimately, Zach just seems like he was cut from a different era back in like the early 2010s as like the prototypical run and chase linebacker. Uh, I think hopefully in Tennessee, they can simplify some of his run fits because that's really where he wasn't able to hold up. There's a lot of uh, hope for him taking over to anchor the middle of the defense with McKinney gone. Clearly wasn't able to hold up to that. There was optimism that he would be uh, resurgent coming back to weak side. That ultimately didn't happen. Uh, I think ultimately, if he's able to play his gaps a little bit better, you can see him have a decent turnaround with Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Is it just a, another player that from recent drafts now that just you know could, could, the exodus continues and it doesn't kind of seem any seem like it's going to stop at any time soon? And we've obviously got the the big elephant in the room, which we'll try and avoid this week because I'm sick of talking about it. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, but in terms of second half struggles, obviously it was a, it was a close game. Um, Couple of field goals in it right till the kind of third quarter, and then as Seattle pull away. But since the bye week, Matt, this team have just not been competitive in the second half. And typically, teams get stronger after the bye week. You self scout, you work out your weaknesses, and you devise you know nuances to your scheme, break your tendencies to find ways to be more productive. But this team have done the complete opposite of that. So I think, what do you think is behind their struggles? And two, what do you think it says about the coaching staff? Uh, well, ultimately, those sort of tie in together very nicely. Uh, it makes me really question their ability to make adjustments. It makes me question what they're looking up. Uh, they have coaches uh, up top in the booth as well as on the sideline. And yet uh, it seems like after our initial uh, few scripted plays go by, it's just everybody's free balling. Uh, there was the Tim Kelly comment earlier in the press conference where he, uh, he pinned offensive struggles on a uh, lack of preparation and uh, players being able to uh, adjust to when what they see on the field is different. And I think that's ultimately the biggest thing holding things back. Yeah, and I think Kelly, you know, was able to look productive with Watson, but he couldn't run the ball last year. This is two years in, and, and I don't see a future for him. Um, we'll come on the remainder of the coaching staff at the minute, but, and I think look, the biggest mitigating factor for that, for if you were a play caller for this team, anyone was calling plays with a headset on a Sunday is talent, right? And I think you've got potentially three guys I'd maybe keep on that you think definite. I think between Brevin Jordan, uh, who's looking, you know, he's got three touchdowns already, uh, which is, you know, which is great because he never played half the season. Uh, you got Nico Collins there, who's, you know, he's just so close to getting his first uh, touchdown, but he's not got there yet. You've got Titus Howard, who you've invested in, and then beyond that, you know, there's not many bodies on this, you know, offensive line or skill positions. I think you'd bring back. I think there's a second tier there. The guys of Charlie Hecker. I think just from the the broadcast I watched, and I watched half the old twenty two before we got in this today. But um, he looks, you know, he's, he's serviceable as a, as a swing guy. And you've got Davis Mills, who we'll come on to separately. And then you got Brandon Cooks. You got one more year, then you got a voidable year on the back end after another restructure um, that was done this season. Um, Still kind of getting my head around all those all those moves that were made, but um, to sign all these guys that aren't really being very productive for us. But there's a long, long way I think to get this offense personnel wise and talent wise um, in a position where you can expect to be productive. And I think there's there's a, there's obviously the coaching staff aren't doing a good job, but when they've not got a lot of work to work with, you've got to probably cut them some slack. I think. Uh, slightly so, yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing is in the running game. Uh, it, it's clear Kelly's tried multiple things, and he just can't seem to uh, get that for the life of him. Going back from both this year and the previous year, it's pretty obvious uh, in the evidence. With that being said, there's not a lot of talent to work for. Uh, you listed a lot of building blocks on the offense that they have, and the the one, one missing crucial piece in there is going to be the interior. And it, yeah. it honestly seems like a wash that most of these guys will not be returning or have much of a future. And if that were to get fortified, I'd assume we, we might be able to actually get some movement on the ground game, maybe some support for uh, a young uh, signal caller like Mills. Because uh, the weapons are there. Like there's just a revolving door at slot receiver, which just makes you bring up uh, questions about uh, them bringing in so many bodies. Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I, I... 
I tweeted out a clip earlier where just um, McCree and Brett, I think, failed to hand off, or McCree, McCree and Heck might have been failed to hand off. But I think as well, like, you'll never probably get a good or a true handle on Davis Mills and what he's capable of without a run game and without, you know, continuous pass protection. And look, guys will make plays, guys will beat guys off the edge, you know, there will be breakdowns and protection at times, but but it's just simple stuff, like you just, they, they both forget, they, they both think they're handing him off to the other guy um, and he runs through and, and, and makes a, you know, makes a sack or a TFL, then it's tough to, it's tough to kind of compute how that can't be, ironed out but we are on our however many iterations of all this offensive line but yeah I think the three guys in the centre that started this week I, I don't think well I struggled to see a role for them coming back beyond being depth pieces and you've got to hope we, we bring in guys to compete at those spots and I think like you know a guy like Justin Justin Britton I know what he is at this stage of his career um, and he's you know he's talking about how we're going to go up to Jacksonville and get a result and all this kind of stuff and you think well I'd much rather see Jimmy Morrissey out there because you know for a guy who was a six round pick who's got no games under his belt I don't think it was much worse so at least there's potential upside there so I'd much rather see him come back in and play the games but there se- tends to be with his coaching staff like you saw with the Amendola move or whoever that might be they they seem to side with a vet because they're trying to you know s- stop the ship um, completely imploding but it's doing that anyway so you wonder um, where where it goes, but I I think the big the big change for me in the offense was they they came out scripted. They ran a lot of screens and actually reasonably well. Um, and you know when you're running crossers and you're running digs against zone coverage, you're going to make plays. Um, and and that's that's they're they're well meshed to, to beat one another. Um, but in the second half, they seem to rush five a lot five man fronts. And and they and they kind of went to man coverage, and I think it comes back to that talent point again. But when when the Seattle made adjustments at halftime and they went man, they went man for man, the Texans struggled, and I, I think that just goes back to talent, but also the coaching staff that you know you know it seemed blatantly obvious at the time what was what was occurring, um, and the offense stalled. And and since the bye week, we've just we've only scored ten points in the second half, and that all came with Tennessee with multiple turnovers. So I think you've really the coaching staff have really got to have a, a look at themselves, and and you wonder. Why and Kelly and and uh, and Cully this last week said it's not necessarily the adjustments, just the execution of the adjustments. But again, I think those those two things go hand in hand, right? I agree. Uh, ultimately, the uh, the execution comes down to the coaching staff, and uh, you can tell who's getting their players ready and who aren't. And I mean, it just feels like a drawn out uh, preseason uh, this year. It just seems like that uh, it's cookie cutter game plans they're trying to make everything basic and players are just struggling to follow along uh, it's it's mind-numbing to watch honestly at a certain point because it's week after week you'll see the same things uh, you'll see a lack of adjustments and you have to question uh, whether an attempt is even being made sometimes which is kind of scary to think at a professional level with guys coaching for their jobs yeah, and and look, you must you must mentally get in a hole in a rut when you're losing this many games, right? You're living eleven games sure. lost so far. Um, there's probably going to be at least two or three more in this final four. But in those final games, we've got a chance to see Davis Mills, and I thought there was some good stuff about his game. I thought he shows a great propensity to be able to throw in the run. Some of his stepping up in the pocket was the best he's probably done to this point. Um, and and so and his limited starts. He he showed you know something you know and even even basic things like throwing screens into the dirt that didn't happen that was better so there was a bit of maturation there was improvement there's still a lot of stuff you can see happening at the line that he just he's he's still a wide eyed rookie at times um, and he misses checks and he misses balances at the line of scrimmage but what did you make of his performance and I know a lot of people are throwing a lot of stats out there. Um, but you've got to see beyond that, I think. And, but what do you think when you watch the actual tape um, that that performance showed and where he is at right now? Uh, well, yeah, if you look at the stats, he's like the second coming of Mac Jones, it looks like. You know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, in terms of what I saw, it was basically he, he did great at the beginning. He did great at the end during garbage time. And in the middle, you got a hobbled mess. I, to be fair, though, as I am over like his first start in, in Carolina, he's come... I don't want to say night and day, but noticeably improved in that regard. Uh, but it's pretty obvious in terms of what we have with him. He can operate the offense. He needs a lot of things to go right for him. He can. Uh, although I will say the uh, the OPI on Brandon Cooks that he had early on, that was a really good demonstration of what he could be in a perfect world. Uh, I wish they'd let him throw downfield a lot more. I feel like we could gauge him a little bit better. 
That seemed to be like what he mainly did in college uh, with like Simi Foko. And you have that type of body type in uh, Nico Collins, who I desperately want to see get more involved. He's one of the few bright spots that we have on this offense. Yeah, well, he caught a he caught sort of a kind of deep over route in the in the first drive, I think, to set up the score um, to to Brevin Jordan. He kind of had one in the second half where it was a kind of a funny arc, and I think sometimes I think Mills does have issues thrown to his left hand side because you saw that the ball and kind of Nico kind of almost like was caught out by the by the trajectory of the throw to the left, um, and he probably could have had a couple more catches. He probably could have had an OPI in the end zone. Um, but then it was one of those ones where the the, the team stall out in the red zone. Brandon Coots get called short of the line. They can't can't score. They end up kicking three. And then you know in the second half it was either a punt or turnover and downs. There was not there was nothing in between. Um, and so it was it was a a performance where I think you know as you say go back to the stats right. You got to peel away the layers slightly because there was three hundred thirty yards or so on the board, but two forty of those were before kind of the game was done. So. You know, you've the garbage time. You know, facet or a caveat. You've got to you've got to account for, um, and he completed thirty three passes. Eight of those were screens as well. So, like you know, again, it's easy ways to do it. And I'm all for you know set up and easy plays for him, uh, but I think there just needs to be you know more of as you said to stretch the field and and because ultimately you know you will create more space for the run game if people you know people do have a legitimate concern inside and I think you've got a guy like Chris Connolly who's not really featured that much but he can he can go a bit Nico can get it deep as well so yeah I think that's one thing thrown down the sidelines there was a couple of clips I put out when we first drafted him and they were the flashes that you thought right okay I can see what people can see um, but there seems to be a hesitancy to do that um, whether he's going to get you know blown up and blown up with a hit or what have you um, but it feels like they got the game plan more accurate. I think there was a higher volume of passes for him to get these reps he needs. Uh, but you just want to see them just let it loose the last couple of games because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. And I don't, you know, uh, what, what, what do you think on that? Just just let them, let, let, them, let them run free for the last couple of weeks and see where we end up. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think Rivers McCallum put out a piece uh, uh, highlighting how uh, when things are uh, uh, no huddle and he operates quickly that he – actually has played some of his better ball there. Yeah. Uh, it just seems to be that this coaching staff just wants to pull in that rake, just wants to get that bubble wrap around him and not necessarily uh, embarrass in the turnover department. That seems to be ingrained into this yeah. coaching staff's philosophy. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're right. No, you're right. I just even when we, even when we have been successful in turnovers, we've not won games. So it's it's almost a a, a completely um, erroneous um, theory. But anyway, sorry, what are you saying? But yeah, you uh, would get uh, more confidence in Brevin Jordan, who uh, I think is a usable piece, not a, a game changer, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just at this point, there's nothing left to lose. We're in the top five pick, pretty much secured. You might as well evaluate what you have, what his weaknesses are. Uh, I, Personally, the one thing that I, I want to touch on for this game is I'm disappointed with how well the screen game worked because I feel like it's positive reinforcement that they're going to keep on trying the sheer amount of screens that they use. It is mind-numbing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the runs on second and medium or second and long. Um, and then on Tim Kelly's tombstone. And then a screen on second yeah. and long. And a screen on third down. Um, it's just it's kind of become too predictable at times in some of the play. You know, they've obviously narrowed the playbook again. I don't know why, but you know, put put as much as you can on his plate and see where he, see where he ends up. And at, the, at this stage, it's completely irrelevant. You know, because we've lost the last however many games now by over twenty points, not being competitive for long stretches, particularly the second half. So, you know, if if you end up throwing three interceptions in the second half, so be it. You know, at least at least it uh, at least at least he got to air it out and 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 leave it all out there. I think. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, just getting ready for the next one. Hopefully, he well, can mail it uh, <laughs> At least he's guaranteed so, on a contract. At least he's for sure returning. Who knows well, what's going on yeah. in the building? And there, there might not be too many of them. And I think it, just to wrap up on the coaching staff, again, we burned two timeouts this week before just to, to give some time to make decisions. And the general management of the game, I think, with Cully has not, not been there. Um, at a level that you could probably deem acceptable, I think, and consider what his role is, and you've seen a lot of guys like Ed Oregon in college, and you know people are questioning, well, why are you paying a guy who effectively doesn't do much on either side of the ball? 
as a contributing and effectively, you know, as a glorified cheerleader in some sense. So when he's not getting involved in schematics and game planning and the only part, small parts he does have in terms of in-game decision-making, he continues to make a mess of. And it's, it'll go under the radar this week, but it still wasn't where it needs to be. Um, you know, penalties on special teams that looked like they were a bit of run a fake, all this kind of stuff. Called a timeout. Looked like they were going to go for it fourth and then kicking the field goal. So... Where do you stand on Cully, and do you see a do you see a team next year where he's still in charge? Um, I mean, I never thought I would ever say that I prefer Bill O'Brien's game management, but here we are. And oh yeah, <laughs> you thought you couldn't one up it, but Cully has just done a remarkable job. It almost seems like every week there's at least two calls where you just have to raise an eyebrow. At, I mean, there's the clip of Stephen, Kevin Stefanski just laughing on the sideline. Uh, out of sheer shock for what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it just seems like he's getting paid a lot of money to take some flack at some press conferences, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I don't see him doing much on the sideline. I don't see him working with uh, any position groups. And his coordinators pretty much do most there. So if he's not managing in-game sidelines or listening to whoever's in your, his ear, I mean, what, it really does seem all, like all he's doing is deflecting questions uh, post-game. Yeah, I think so. And, and what, what do you think of... Um... The defense in terms, they give a lot of plays, big plays again, 50, 60 yard bombs that, you know, that, you know, you didn't cover one, you should probably get, you know, not necessarily kind of be in a, a position where, you know, Tyler Lockett will do it to a lot of teams, DK Metcalf will do it to a lot of teams. You're going up against good competition, right? And obviously, at the level of corners in which we have, you know, it's particularly when you gave away Rasul Douglas to uh, Green Bay and he's making plays every week. Uh, again, we'll come just come back to that roster management piece. But, I thought, for me, it was good to see Garrett Wallow getting out there, get some snaps. He got a TFL on the first drive, killed it, made them kick a field goal. Um, look, Lonnie Johnson's play and his mental aspect of his game is nowhere near it. I saw him reshare something about how he shut down DK Metcalf, which certainly wasn't the game I saw. Um, but I thought it was good to see him at outside corner um, and just let him go and scrap it out. Because that's what he is. He's a feisty corner. He'll give away penalties like he did on the goal line against Metcalf. People will try him and look, I think, you know, Wilson saw him come on the field after Desmond King, I think, went out with a concussion. He came back in and they went after him repeatedly. Sometimes he held up just by sheer mass and size, got in the way um, and forced him in completions. Perhaps some of them should the receivers caught. But I thought it's good to see what he's got there because if he just gets every snap, and I don't think he will, I think they'll bring back Desmond King, but reportedly he doesn't want to be here next year. So you think at least give Lonnie Johnson as many snaps as he can and see what he's got and look it won't be pretty um, but you're building towards something that might reoccur in you know in a year year's time yeah uh, Lonnie's been in all fairness to Lonnie he's not gotten the best shake of things since he's been uh, to Houston yeah. but uh, I mean the position he's in now is is as good as any if you had picked one for me the only thing that might be a little bit better is if he was in Pete Carroll's cover three you know where he could just jam people to line uh, but, I mean, that's always when he's at his best. Uh, you look at the one successful game he had against the injured Chiefs a couple of years back when he was on Kelsey for the first time, and that's really where he started to show his mettle. Uh, he's all body. It just does not seem like he's caught up with the game and all. He was raw coming out, and he's still pretty rough around the edges. Uh, maybe that's a discredit to the coaching staff, but that's a topic for, for earlier. Uh, but, yeah, I was uh, under the impression that being back in the uh, safeties with Justin Reed, he would sort of fill in sort of like a brains and brawn situation, but that doesn't seem like he's taking anything away looking at his pursuit angles. I uh, gave up a bunch of big plays and, and to be fair, Russell do that DK and, and Tyler will do that. Uh, especially when the pass rush isn't necessarily hitting home all the time, but uh, I think it's time to move on from Lonnie. It's another Bill O'Brien era malcontent that went from contending to rebuilding. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's better than what running out a, uh, Terrence Mitchell, who has been roasted alive this season so far, and uh, see if you potentially have a depth corner if he uh, signs somewhere. Yeah, but he, I think he's on a two-year deal, uh, Terrence. So he, you know, there's a good chance they might bring him back just for depth and he'll compete for a spot next year. You know, but he's a guy that could be your fifth, sixth corner on your team, but you just don't want to start every yeah. down it. Yeah, and you don't want Desmond King to be playing outside particularly either. You know, so. It'd be, it would have been good to try out some other guys, but it looks like we're probably going to ride it out with with them all. I thought the pass rush didn't really get home again this week, and again, it's partly just to do with the elusiveness of Russell Wilson and and a bit you know and a bit and a bit of quality up front. Um, seeing Dwayne Brown back was all very 
kind of strange but it all that, that kind of storyline kind of fed under the radar a bit I think because people probably played that one to death but I thought in terms of roster management you're talking about Rasul Douglas making plays um, for for Green Bay two pick sixes in a row you know and, and he, he I'm sure he caught a, in the end zone did he not to ice a game against Arizona as well so he's made a number of plays for them we've let them go for a team that had five running backs on the on the roster at the start of the season to be in this position where you only had a really slow looking Royce Freeman whose cuts actually weren't too bad but he's been general zipping his legs and juice isn't there but to go from having five running backs to, to cut two to trade one to then only have one healthy and active roster but no other options to me kind of goes back to the point that I've kind of held throughout this season that actually Casario's roster management has not been great we talked about the dead money earlier you know, you're talking about cornerbacks we've let go that have actually made plays for other teams, good teams as well that are, you know, in contention for Super Bowls. And there you look at that, um, the, the mess we're in up front in terms of the offensive line. If you look at the, and then you look at the running backs as well in terms of the offense. I think there's definitely, you know, and he, he said it himself last week that like he didn't think he'd done a good enough job. But I think that's really starting to show up now as, as you know, as guys get banged up and, and, and the season kind of sets in a little. Yeah. Uh, I think on the, uh, either the previous or two cap and trade uh, episodes with uh, Texans cap, uh, him, Landry Locker, and uh, Mike Melter were talking about uh, sort of Casario's rough idea coming into uh, the pre- the offseason. Uh, it seemed like uh, the reason for the restructures and going veteran heavy was he was trying to rebuild sort of a, a more mature locker room. And uh, based on all the discipline issues that we've had this year, uh, the lackluster uh, competitive product, it just seems like that plan just went and backfired uh, on him. Uh, just completely misused his waiver priorities when Texans were in a pretty prime spot, get some young talent. Uh, as he said, five running backs, uh, and not only five running backs, but five decently paid running backs eating up a cap that you might not necessarily have to restructure a player for if they weren't on the roster. You look at, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Deonta Foreman on the Titans, who was like a street pickup. Uh, you have Duranis Johnson, who was at one point uh, an undrafted yeah, yeah, free agent, performing yeah, yeah. well. Like you can find these guys around the league, like they exist. Some it's fresh the legs. Position. It's the easiest uh, position but on your roster. Mm. It just seems like an old school kind of mindset in terms of yeah. uh, team building. And uh, they were saying that hopefully this year you'll see him get back to use as he sort of clears away the sheet. It's just an the main gripe that I have with it is all of this could have happened this year. We could have just taken our lumps this year and then started fresh on the next league year. Yeah, yeah, and just like our just like our our second halves, um, and just like the week prior, it was literally and numerically pointless. And I think that that's the, that's where I struggle really because you kind of felt like with the signings they were making, they were just tread more. They were effectively punting on this season. And actually, I I I I, I remember this, and I actually think I can't remember who tweeted this out last week, and I saw it, and I, I remember to mention it was if you remember at the end of last season they talked about having Romeo Cornell potentially coming back as a as you know as a as an interim guy for a year. And that was that was before Caserio was in the building. That was before um you know we cleaned out you know some of the guys here. But you know not a lot's changed. You know I think you've got to remember that. You know there's not a huge amount of people in the front office and some of the coaching staff are holdovers apart from Nick Caserio. He's the only one that's made potentially going to make a marked difference over time. But that was that was a, an idea floated at the time. And I remember being absolutely livid about the, the prospect of that because I think you're basically punting on a season. Um, and ironically, in a game where the best two players probably on the field would be the two Australian punters for either either team might make the Pro Bowl um, for either side. Um, you know, and OK, that's one good signing, Cameron Johnson, great. Um, he has been. But, you know, we need probably another 15, 20 acceptable pro-level football players on this squad. We didn't go down any route to, to find them this season. And and again, I think when you when you when you have another loss like that, okay, there was some, you know, positives, Davis Mills getting development. But beyond that, you know, beyond the Davis Mills, Brevin Jordan, Nico Collins, you know, okay, Grigio Hill possibly. And you know, and I think people quick to praise him, but you know, he's a as I said, he's a Dylan Cole back up to your, you know, your linebackers. He's a guy that comes in release spot. He's not an every down player for you. Um, you know, and you've got apart from that, you know, there's not many that uh, you, you you want to take on and and uh, and take to new. You know, and Trayvon Smith gets an extension. You're like, well, great, okay, he's another depth piece. Um, Derek Rivers get an extension, which I just was 
really strange because he's not played. And again, that just probably goes back to who's influencing that decision. So kind of makes you feel a bit uneasy at the time, just as it made me feel uneasy when Grugy Hill was going off the field and uh, all the Easter Bews over arms straight round him, giving him well wishes. And apparently he's not as injured as, as he may have thought. But yeah, it's just that feeling of, of, of similarity um, from last year to this year. And it kind of like you don't talk about the game you don't talk about what you're looking forward to. It's just kind of what might happen in the future. And I, I constantly doubt, you know, logic to prevail. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at the roster, more than likely, uh, we're going to have to do a very similar thing to what we did this offseason in terms of just a wave of whatever veterans are looking to get paid, essentially to fill out our, our holes. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the few optimistic signs I can have is just uh, who whoever we take. Uh, in the draft early, how are, how are they performing? Uh, and then everyone talks about uh, switching out the coaching staff. I just don't even understand who's who's taking a job here, who's trying to improve their resume uh, in order to do this. Uh, the only other person uh, on the team who can even bother taking over duties would be possibly Pep Hamilton, but he hasn't even called plays in the league, uh, to my knowledge. I know he was in the running for the Miami OC gig for whatever reason that didn't work out. And so you have to question if uh, if brighter days are even immediately on the horizon. Well, that's it. And I think you've you've got to you've got to find coping mechanisms to watch this team on a Sunday because I think you'll need you'll need them if you're going to if you're going to continue yeah. to associate yourself um, next year because as you said there's not huge <laughs> there's not a huge amount of reasons why you think things would change and okay they might get you know say that the, the the hopeful uh, trade of Watson happens and you can bring in a couple of extra sort of you know program guys are on the season ticket guys you can print on the front of the program because we don't have them right now but even then you know they're going to be year one young players so you can't expect too much really in terms of the competitiveness in terms of that and if you do get some decent veterans or i know you might be scrappy and you might be you know four or five wins but you're probably still looking at a top 10 pick at best i would think you know with with without the uh without the absence of lightning striking which i think quite seems quite impossible but you you've got this kind of got this kind of the feeling of this lull that we're we're kind of in. And we've got Jacksonville obviously this week. Um, it's probably a game you could lose, and it might help you. Where 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 do you stand on that? Because the mess they're in, I think you know, it makes you feel a little bit lucky. But certainly we've we've found this this season how the other half live. But it's a game you could probably do with losing really. That is probably the highlight of my year. Is just all of these Urban Meyer stories that just keep coming out of the woodwork from the start of the season to the end. Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel better uh, that potentially we don't have the uh, worst coaching staff in the AFC uh, South. Uh, I do think that this is probably going to be a revenge game. They do have one key difference on the roster being uh, Trevor Lawrence, who's doing, by all accounts, his best to try to carry that franchise on his back. Uh, you just see countless small mistakes. Their O-line, despite all these uh, uh additions to it is still looking terrible. Uh, but that being said, I do think that they have, they're more than likely going to take this one, which would be good for us in the draft. Sure. Uh, as we're like, right, I believe right next to them in the pecking order, it's two and three respectively. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't see uh, the key issue is I don't see how this offense can put points on the board consistently. And that hasn't really been answered in the past five or six weeks or so. Like you said, after the bye. Yeah, and I think when you go back to week one as well, I think people, you know, the, again, the turnovers have kind of clouded what a def this defense is, ultimately, and that no, but no more so obviously than the, the two divisional games that we've won, and they were both hit turn. I think three turnovers in week one, five in Tennessee, um, and you know we didn't, you know, albeit it was a great result, and Tyrod Taylor played at a level that we've not seen, and he's probably never going to get back to in the rest of his career. But when you when you go to Jacksonville, it's probably the chance, as you said, it's probably a chance to win a game of our final win of the season because. When you look, you've got the, the Chargers coming to town when you travel it's out, to, out west to go to San Francisco and then you've got the visit to Tennessee who may or may not need that in the playoff. And regardless, I think they've probably got a chance to, to beat you as long as they don't turn the ball over five times because even when they did, it was still close. So, yeah, it's probably it's probably very Texans to win and then maybe relegate themselves to third or fourth in the draft. But I think sometimes that doesn't necessarily always mean a bad thing because, you know, how, how often, you know, as one or two the necessarily the best you know the best player but I think we're in a position where you know if you if you think in terms of just genuine talent we're behind Jacksonville we're behind Detroit you know we're behind probably the whole league in terms of just accumulating talent so you know if it is third or fourth I don't it's, I kind of I kind of find myself not getting too worked up about it because 
ultimately we just need as many good players that can actually perform at an adequate level in the pros and we just simply don't have that right now so I'm kind of I'm kind of not too uh, not too fast yeah uh, one of my few silver linings is that it's a little bit easier to trade that pick away for somebody looking for a quarterback yeah. to trade up yeah it's a little bit lower on the pecking board price will come down a little bit and also uh, in the draft where everyone is still kind of scattered on finding these blue chip prospects uh getting something in the middle is pretty good decent value compared to getting like a number one pick and having it flop in your face so to speak well well that's it and i think that's a really good point matt because you've got that dynamic in the background where obviously we've still got this hopeful trade of what deshaun if the legal timeline aligns whether that will or not i don't think who knows um but yeah, any other move he makes, he can't be seen to be taking subpar value because ultimately, then that you know that the jackals will beat the door a little bit in terms of you know their their stance and, and negotiating whether. But if you are in third or fourth, you've actually got a better chance to get a solid return. Whereas if you're trading the number one, number two, then you've got to have this sort of gross premium that's a blockbuster trade to make it worthwhile to justify it to your owner. To just well, not our owner because he doesn't give a shit, but you know, but you know, but 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 you know, justify it to to, to the fan base or what have you, you know, and, and functional organisations, of course. So so you know, I think it's it's a it's it's a good it's a good point that and. Um, just before we talk about college prospects, I think you know the, that is the, the silver lining. Looking ahead, is there any? Is there any? I just had this thought, and just now is it? You know, talking about potential, who would take it? And you've got to probably, if you were going to change coaching staff and get a new head coach, you've probably got to get lucky. You've probably got to buy a little low and hope for a big return. But is there any guys in college that you think you know might be you know might not necessarily be that you know at a big power five school you know these jobs that people don't want to walk away from but have done a good job kind of similar to bill o'brien did a good job at penn state um and kind of earned his right to be a pro coach um and, and kind of you know got their name and up and likes a little is there any any names you've got the tip of your tongue on the college game you think could be a potential fit to keep an eye out for um it's a good question uh one of the best ones uh i i guess he's sort of getting his big shot right now but i'm really keeping my eye on marcus freeman uh from notre dame I've been watching uh, guys for a while in the draft and uh, his, the defense that he put in Cincinnati is very much pro adaptable as much as people talk about uh, Brett Venables as being like one of the main defenders in uh, college. I think Marcus Freeman is right there with him. Really enjoy what he does. Uh, aside from that, uh, Lane Kiffin, I think uh, mm -hmm. if he can expand a little bit, there, there, there's a definitely a chance there. I'm not so much on the uh, Lincoln Riley hype train as everyone else did. I think he could easily get a job in the NFL. I just don't see his offense necessarily translating that well over there. Uh, yeah. But if I had to choose like the next young defensive mind that makes a shot, it'd be Marcus Freeman. Yeah, he's And he's going to take over right from, from Kelly, isn't he? In Notre yeah, Dame, Notre so. Dame. yeah, as yeah, the yeah, D yeah. coordinator get promoted. Yeah, so yeah, he's going to take the head coach role. So yeah, I suppose he's probably not going to walk away from that for a time. But I suppose the guys like Matt Campbell, the guy was at, uh, was at Franklin at Penn State, these are all the kind of names that are kind of pushed out there. And it's all kind of agent narrative, right? The stuff we see, so... Um, who knows if they will make a change. But I thought it was interesting last week when Casario didn't commit to David Cully next year. He said, I'm not going to be drawn on comments about next season. So I don't know if he feels like he has to make a, a change. He's probably given David Cully a shorthand. He'll probably, you know, he'll walk away with a nice retirement check. But I think if you're going to get away from a situation like you had on Sunday and like you've had a number of games where there's been empty seats, and then the the and the traveling support then come and show up in a decent side, particularly Seahawks, one of those kind of you know franchises that have had success, so they've you know got a, a a truly national fan base. You end up having bigger cheers for for them making plays, and you do your own. And and look, I don't think I I've talked about this in depth last week, right? But I don't think the, the organization necessarily, apart from Nick Casario, knows and or cares about that. But I think he's probably the the only guy to. You know, actually take a, a logical inference from a situation like that and see change may well be required. I've got a horrible feeling nothing will will roll out a similar iteration like we like we like how we how we evolve from from twenty to twenty twenty one. I think we may do something similar, not go too crazy, and then look to make a change later on. But I, I feel like a change just need you just need to spark something. I just don't think they've 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 sparked anything this year. I hear you. And uh, maybe from like a morale standpoint, that absolutely is needed. Because I mean, no, no players enjoy going through this type of year. Nobody yeah. enjoys getting beat down like that, having your morale or your uh, will to fight just taken away from you. Uh, reminds me a lot of the 49ers, Jim Tonsula era. 
where it was just yeah. needed to buy time. Uh, but then they just did another one and done with Chip Kelly. Uh, and that's the only uh, question I have <clears throat> that I have with David Coley is if you were to ask him, uh, how, how much brighter would the uh, grass be on the other side, so to speak? Uh, and who would you even like, would it be a Lovey Smith uh, situation where he sort of yeah. takes over for a year as like a bridge? Uh, I mean, if you can tell me from like a uh, player uh, morale standpoint that it's a good and I can get on board with him, I'm as sick of him as anybody else is. Although his press conferences are golden when he just denies reality. It's pretty <laughs> special to hear. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see uh, another coach making much more of an impact that he does, uh, aside from maybe a few less atrocious game management decisions. Well, yeah, that's it. And I mean, you, there, there's a limit to what you can, how much you can change his roster on the off season. But I think when you, when you see the complete apathy, like when I was at the tailgate a couple of weeks ago against the Jets, it was just, it was, it was, it was distressing to see. It looked like the same again this week. The seats are empty. That's only going to get worse, you know. If this season, if next season is what we all expect it to be like, without some sort of, you know, big, you know, catalyst for change and some kind of something to stimulate interest and just general reasons to go and watch this team. And in its current structure, where the off-season off will ever change, or the off-field, sorry, part of it, you know, with the man who will not be mentioned, if that will ever change at any time soon then, um, which from all sounds, it does, doesn't seem like it will be. Um, and we're just going to, then they just think this is part and parcel of a rebuild, but it's, it's more than that. And so it's it's a bit depressed. But let's not try to lower the tone too much. Let's talk some college prospects because... That's the that's the kind of stuff that keeps you going, I think, really. Um, if you had your choice of anyone, um, assuming you're sitting third, who who would you say the first two guys off the board are, and then who would be your choice at that point if we're sitting third? Um, I don't think uh, a quarterback is going uh, necessarily within the first few couple slots. It would make sense if it happens in the middle of the top ten to me if somebody is going to force it, that they would trade with one of those teams who has a couple of picks to spare. So that way they're still getting some front end talent. Uh, more than likely, uh, that's going to be one of the two edge rushers, if not both coming off the board early. Yep. Uh, that being a uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Uh, I've seen uh, all the hype for Hutchinson getting first overall, and I can understand mm-hmm. it. It just seems kind of like recency bias to me with like the, uh, the yeah. playoff game yeah. him getting ready to go off, uh, to help this championship run the wisconsin game or the uh, ohio state game there we go where he just completely blew people over i i do like hutchinson don't get me wrong uh, i just think people are getting things a little out of sight in terms of uh what he's done recently uh you look at thibodeau and it just uh his burst his first step quickness it looks like he shot out of a cannon i just love the way he, that he moves he's got like a pro ready body I, I really enjoy what Thibodeau brings to the table. Uh, so if those two guys are off the board, uh, in my heart of hearts, I would love if Kyle Hamilton Hamilton was the pick. Yes, that's probably uh, one, yeah. that's Everyone will bring up uh, safety, positional value, and things of that jazz. But I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. He's that good. He yeah, that good. I agree entirely. Yeah. He's he's my number one player in the entire class. Uh, he's a he's a unicorn for every. Yeah. It's the law of equivalent exchange. For every Kyle Pitts freak of nature, there has to be a Kyle Hamilton that exists on the defensive side. It feels yeah, like yeah. Uh, yeah. it's just insane the way he moves, the size that yeah. he is, how disciplined he is in terms of his eyes. Uh, I just can't see anybody else making as much of an impact. I mean, Minka, Derwin, uh, guys of that nature, he's, he's on that tier. And I hope yeah. the league learns their lessons where those guys were – uh, bottom of the top Over. 10. I think yeah. he should, if Jamal Adams is worth a top five pick, then Kyle Hamilton should be in the top three. So a couple of questions for you, right? Number one, is Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, they're a, would you say they're a tier above the guys that are uh, um, Hutchison and Thibodeau? Are they in the same realm as that? Yeah. Uh, I absolutely think they're in a, a higher tier. Miles Garrett yeah. in particular is on like yeah, yeah. the highest tier. He's, yeah, he was built in a lab. You, you can't convince me otherwise. Yeah. Uh, in terms of where these guys are, I think uh, they're somewhere in between like the Chase Young and defensive Josh Allen range. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of merit yeah. to them. Uh, I think they're both kind of raw. I think Hutchinson has probably the highest floor, and that's why he's going talking about going as early as yeah. he is. Uh, yeah. But in terms of uh, Thibodeau, I think he's 
still got a few things to learn before you can really get to that next edge. Do you, do you know what I think? Do you know who um, Thibodeau reminds me of a bit of uh, D Ford coming out of Auburn? I think he's like he's speed and he's got power um, and he's got a nice blend of the two. Um, oh, I'm maybe yeah. doing him a little. I'm maybe doing him a little disservice there, right? But he kind of reminds me of him a little bit. Um, and obviously, he's not in a great career since so he got to Kansas. You know, when he left Kansas City and what have you, um, his injuries have kind of curtailed him. Um, and he was at Forty Nine, trade Forty Nine, or so what have you. But then I think with with Hutchison as well, I think I kind of get Taven Bryant vibes at times. I know he's not a defensive tackle; he plays but a bit more on the edge. But there's just something about him how he, he looks a lot younger when he takes his helmet off, right? So therefore, I don't think he's matured physically. Therefore, that may suggest that he's got a higher um, upside. I'm perhaps overthinking it a little bit, but. When I see him not be able to bend the edge in the way that you expect the guys to take them that high, I, I'm I'm almost kind of the more I think about it, the more I've watched them this year, I've kind of I kind of feel like well actually I don't mind if we just drop down because if you if you know if you're saying that they're not in that top tier then the value is the value of that pick regardless of the draft class you don't control that so therefore you want to trade out but as you said a guy like Kyle Hamilton or even perhaps Evan Neal are they the best? position or best player at that position um, it might not be rated as highly but you know if you can impact the play on more downs than you can edge rusher well win rate of 20% makes you an all pro then I'm kind of okay with maybe dropping down to one of those two guys yeah uh, I mean I don't think you should overpay for something that's not going to end up working out in the long yeah. haul yeah, yeah. this draft is loaded in edges uh, you can probably find one near the top of the second that you like that probably should have gotten the first Honestly, uh, let's say it's some medicals, drop them for, for whatever reason. Uh, I think what ultimately they need to do is they just need to find starters. They need to find starters that can yeah. overcome bad coaching and just fill in as many gaps as possible. Uh, on the bright side, it, it all helps. Any position at this point, honestly, is going to be helpful to the team, uh, even if it is a tackle, just to bump out Charlie Hag. I think anybody can be useful right now. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think if you do take a tackle, then I suppose um, Tunsil's days are over and you might not get a great return for that. But I think in terms of the contract value, in terms of you're going to have, you, you know, you will have to, re either either the team that trades for them are going to have to renegotiate or, you know, we're, you know takes are going to have to do that at least at the end of next year at the latest. Um, when you see that, that you know, that, that startling value and you think, well, you know, what's the point of, of, of having a Ferrari in a in a, a house where, you you know, where a part of have a garage or something like that, you know, and I think it's just like, doesn't really make too much sense right now. So I think there's yeah, there's a lot to be had. In terms of those sort of top four guys that we've talked about, is there any guys that you think might sneak in there and and uh, and teams might want to trade up for and we can get out of there? Or is there any guys that you, you've got a kind of got a good feeling about? Um I think due to the uh, nature of the offensive tackle class, you might see some guys trade up in order to snag like a, a secure thing. Uh like uh, the Carolina Panthers, I think are near the bottom of the ten. Uh, top 10, they might want to sneak up and make sure that they can grab one of the three like big names. You have mm -hmm. Evan Neal, Akim Aquanu, and then uh, Charles Cross is Charles really Cross, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, building yeah. up a lot of steam. Uh, they can really use him, pure pass protector. Reminds me of kind of like a higher profile Andre Dillard coming out of uh, Washington yeah. State yeah. with also Mike Leach. You know, if there's one thing he knows, it's pass protecting left tackles. Yeah, yeah. yeah not definitely. If you watch his tape against Alabama, um, it's there to see that he's a first round pick. It just depends how high people want to take him and how the positional needs. And it's kind of it's a tough one, right? Because we could go any position, and you know you could, you could be happy with it. And I think that's why that kind of you know demotes that that kind of safety question. But I think I think as you said, when when there's a, a rarity like that, Kyle Hamilton, I just can't see past him. One question I did have actually, Kyle Hamilton. Before we go back to the rest of the prospect, one question I've got is people don't throw at him a lot, and. Um, you know, and if a team was just to go right, let's see what this rook's got, and and target him five six times in the first quarter, do you think he's he's got enough to to overcome that? Yeah, I mean he's gonna get beat. Every every rookie is gonna get yeah, beat yeah. as they're adjusting, you know. But uh, you can't teach his speed. His recovery speed is insane. Uh, I mean, there's the one play where I believe it was week two or three where uh, yeah, he has know. enough time to wait for the ball as he's coming across the hash. And that, that, that's just stupid. Like, you, you don't see that. Even with, like, the speedy safeties, that's, like, Jesse Bates, Justin Simmons type of stuff. And yet he has the same body as, like, a Jeremy Chin. Like, I think there's a lot of ways you can get him involved early, even yeah. if you're just, like, limiting his plate and then slowly expanding it as the season goes along. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond the offensive tackle, guys, is there any uh, any other any other spots that... 
the guy that I like we talked about with uh, Texans thoughts was George Karlaftis. I think probably a bit early to take him in the top the top five maybe, but you know, he's got a guy he's probably a guy that's got potentially the highest ceiling in the draft and he's, he's good tape's good, he's bad tape, particularly Michigan State was he kinda of got taken out of the game, but there's games against Wisconsin, there's games against Iowa where he just wrecks the shop. So what's um where are you on George Karlaftis and have you got any other names before we oh, man. Sort of start wrapping up? You are up? talking my language. George Karlaftis is like my crush for this draft. I love him. Uh, for everyone who made a weird uh, Watt Brothers comparison for Aiden Hutchinson, I think George Karloftis is more built for that, honestly. Yeah, yeah, he's closer to uh, it's insane. Different. He's like 270, and yet he moves like he's an outside linebacker. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, when it's all right, it's amazing. And when it's wrong, you can tell that he needs a lot of work. But if you can put it all together, if you can get him the right coaching, if he improves his hands, he, he moves in a rare way, and he's also inhumanly strong. It's just there's a lot to like. I think he is a fringe top ten player. If Aiden or if uh, Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't in this class, he would be getting a lot more steam towards the first pick, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. And um, is there any other guys that, before we head out here you wanna you wanna touch upon that you've got a uh, you've got a beat on? In terms of uh, the offensive line, I really like. Uh, I really like Zion Johnson from Boston College. Uh, in terms of, yeah, yeah, yeah. they still yeah. want to keep doing this outside zone type of nonsense. He's one of the few guards who I think can hold his own in the interior while also being able to move to be able to get these blocks that they want to execute. Uh, he's got another uh, teammate in uh, from Boston College and Alec Lindstrom, who's going to the uh, Shrine Bowl, I believe. Uh, he's right. probably going to be like uh, a late day two, early day three. If you can get he's both bro- of those he's together. He's the brother of the guy from Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah from Chris Lindstrom. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And all their family goes to Boston College. It's insane. Uh, he's not uh, a physical marvel, but he, he's pretty technically sound. And uh, in terms of like a cheap center uh, that you could get to build out the interior, uh, I think they have great chemistry. I think they would be a nice uh, compliment in terms of fixing our, our problems. And um, in terms of the the cornerbacks, because you know, it's one thing we've probably never had as a start is probably your top three player, is cornerback. I know Stingley's been injured. Um, you've got it's probably then picked your poison after that. But there's questions about his health, which you know there's the adage hurt guys stay hurt. Would you take Stingley with the third if he was there, or where'd you sit on that one? Uh, it's really tough. You really have to trust your your medical evaluations in order to put that kind of investment in a guy. Uh, I mean, we were just talking about uh, Kevin Johnson and how his body just did not seem like it was built for the big leagues for the amount of punishment that he was taking. Yeah. Uh, so he can have all the talent in the world. And we, we were even talking about the last time I was here about how much we wanted him. And I, and I do to a certain degree. I just worry if that's maybe a high investment for him as opposed to yeah. maybe a guy like Andrew Booth who will be later in the top 10 to top 15 range who has a lot of physical gifts that rival Stingley's in my opinion. And in terms of the the quarterbacks, just to round this one off, Matt is um, you Corral or Pickett? Who would you say is the first guy off the board? It seems to be Corral, but I'll tell you when I when I watched them against um, Auburn, it was, and I've watched a couple other games and I've seen some breakdowns of him as well. I think it's all he's, he's very good at slants, quick crossers, digs, quick outs. Um, well, maybe lost less of the quick outs, but thrown to the boundary, I think is the issue. And if you think of the big criticism between. All the, the guys who've come into the league and that, that that is the issue they struggle with is thrown to the boundary outside the numbers because it's a different game in college just by the by the position of the hashes as well. So for me, I think he's just really limited and I wouldn't want the Texans to take him this year unless we had multiple picks and then you get him later. I think Kenny, Kenny Pickett's the kind of guy that interests me. I think he's got, he's one of these guys, he's a high floor. That fake slide that he did in the, in the bowl weekend there was was pretty good so you can tell he's, he's a guy that works his game and he's a guy just like Corral they're both competitors um, there may be sort of backups but how would you sort of compare them to Davis Mills coming out as, as the kind of sort of universal top two guys uh, well uh, when you look at the quarterbacks this year it's pretty understandable about why people thought that Davis Mills would be in, in a relatively early discussion this year yeah, uh, yeah, a yeah. lot of what he's shown is it's pretty similar everybody has good moments and they all have their flaws that they can learn from uh, I personally, Corral scares me. He seems yeah, kind of like, uh, yeah. for lack of a better term, the Jimmy Garoppolo of this class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When Lane is taking care of him, when Lane tells him what his offense is, what his reads are, he does really good. He was able to cut down the turnovers this year. But it seems kind of like a uh, 
almost like a Mitchell Trubisky-esque one-year wonder type of performance that we're seeing. Uh, and I just, I just don't know if he can make plays out of structure on his own. Yeah. Uh, for Kenny Pickett, I love his moxie. Uh, I love the way he like moves around. I uh, just see overall limits in his body in terms of how he's going to adjust to the pros. Yeah, no, I think so. I think some of the, yeah, some of the kind of processing and some of the kind of stuff that he does at the line of scrimmage and in that Pittsburgh offense, albeit it's more it's more pro ready than your sort of classic spread, right? But it's not necessarily um, set him up for for whole success. But in terms of the um, in terms of what you want to see this off season, obviously we kind of take up some draft prospects there and and the the boards and the and and the. The information that's out there in the public sphere is always very different to the to the private one and the, the terms of the guys that are actually getting paid to make these evaluations. And often they aren't always necessarily more accurate than others. But, you know, it's it's one, I always think, they're two parallel worlds and you, there'll be some shocks, I think, when you get out of the first round. But in terms of what you want to see this team kind of put together and, and, and make strides forward, I mean, it might be just baby steps, but what do you want to see this team kind of do the off-season after we get through this slog of last four games, including Jacksonville this Sunday? Uh, yeah, I personally, I don't want us to force a quarterback pick this year. Uh, if you take them in the first round, I think it should be like if that's a decision. I don't want them to toil around in like the middle, like the third, the fourth, or whatever. Mm, uh, what is it? Uh, Kentley Platt uh, of Math Bomb, the RIS scores. He wrote a uh, article for the Detroit Lions uh, blog, so to speak, about uh, the hit rate in terms of quarterback starting X amount of games, putting this many yards and what yeah. round they were taken. And the further you go down, the smaller that list just shrinks to where it, if you like him, you might as well just rush him to the first. Hmm. Either he's the guy or, or he's not. Uh, I hope they take advantage of the undrafted free agent market this year. Yeah. Uh, big storyline that I was following uh, last off season was just uh, with the COVID super senior rule where we saw a very limited draft class last year which uh, is probably why nick casario sort of bundled up his picks sort of tried to look for guys that he had hard information on that he had good sources on and not necessarily drafting a bunch of unknown commodities in bulk uh i imagine this year is when the pendulum starts to swing the other way and i think he's going to be kind of aggressive with i mean it's almost double the size in terms of the uh yeah. priority yeah. free agent list that's going to be available this year and hopefully some gems can be found yeah, I think so because you're right. I think I mean it's funny because it's when you've been in Houston the last couple a couple of weeks ago, it was like you know COVID was I think in the past kind of right now it's kind of changing a bit here across Europe and whatnot. So it's kind of strange, but yeah, the college the college scene has a bit of normality in terms of just the structures they put around it. So it's a bit more of a level playing field I think this this year in the draft. And yeah, hopefully that opens up a a youth movement that's badly needed. Um, um, and per, no more so that running back, and I would, I would, I would, I would draft three running backs this year if you've got enough picks, you know, just just to get some young guys on this roster, and hopefully we see Scotty Phillips in the last couple of weeks. His partner's not going to play this week, but he might get three games before the end of the season just to see what he's got if he's worth keeping around next year, rather than this sort of aging group of players that has put a bit of a sorry, sorry season, but. Um, you got any coping mechanisms for a Sunday? Have you moved moved off beer to liquor, or how do you how do you manage it this Sunday? Or are you how are you going to manage the last four games before it kind of feels like you get a bit of respite? No, I just uh, just enjoying the trench play. That's one of the few things I have to look forward to. Uh, Howard settling in. This is sort of like his very important evaluation period for picking up the fifth year option. So that's something to look out for. Uh, and also, Jonathan Grenard has been my saving grace for this defense this year. Uh, that almost interception that he had uh, yeah, was, yeah. It was it was ridiculous. He wasn't uh, he wasn't too he, he wasn't too uh, holding his own. Yeah, Grenard was not too happy with me last week after I sent out a clip. I got some messages from him, so um, he's uh, still trying to make peace there with him. But we'll see if we can uh, maybe get him on in the off season or something like that to uh, <laughs> to talk through it. But yeah, he didn't he didn't like the fact that I put a clip out and said that he'd uh, over pursued and left the running lane, but. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, but yeah, these guys, the young guys, this young generation, the guys are searching their name on social media to see what's been out there. So, yeah, if you're going to do it, got to take it. So we'll see. But yeah, no, I think those guys, those guys are definitely, um, those guys are definitely ones to watch. I think. And but yeah, as you said, there's not many. You just want to see Nico get a couple of scores for the end of the year. You don't want him to go into year two without it. Or Brevin Jordan is just see if he can do a bit more in the trenches and, and block. I think that's one thing you really want to see because you want to understand if he's, and it doesn't seem like he needs to be a three down type 
tight end, but that's his aspiration. And I think, you know, there's potential there. And he's still a young, young guy. You know, I think a lot of people said that in the offseason when you interviewed him, he just came across as a really young guy. So, you know, he's probably got a bit of physical maturation to do as well to try and bulk out um, that frame and see if he can kind of hold in. But, but yeah, I think, yeah, there's, there's some good storylines to watch. You never know, Trevor Lawrence might just um, kick into gear this weekend and maybe in the second spot. But yeah, I think third or fourth might be a sweet spot, often is in the draft. So um, at least we've got that to look forward to because that's been robbed of his last few years. Yeah, it's so awesome to have our own first round pick again this year. It's kind of like a, our little Christmas present to ourselves. Very well, nice to enjoy. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, April comes around pretty quickly, and you've got and you've obviously got free agency as well, which will be a tough period for this team unless they make changes in the front office and the coaching staff if players want to come here. So the draft may be the next you know logical kind of or feasible uh, avenue that we start to bring in some talent that's going to make this team a little bit easier to watch next year. But um, but Matt, thank you very much for your time, mate. Trying to make some sense of it all. For the good people listening, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe, leave a comment, um, give us some feedback. If there's any you wanted to hear us talk about, it's hard to put this agenda together every week But um, and the way this team is. But if there's anything you'd like to hear about, reach out. Um, I've had a good couple of suggestions the last couple of weeks. Um, not be many articles at podcasttextings.com and my malaise for this team, but um, I'll probably try and, if you've not checked out, there's some you know, permanent pieces there that continue to be unchanged as this team is unchanged until we get to this offseason. But thanks again for listening um, and uh, we'll catch you again after the Jags next week. <laughs> <laughs>